0: Good morning, Temple. How are we doing today? Hey, it is great to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. If you do not know me, my name is Trevor. I am one of the pastors here at Temple. I help with the youth ministry and the worship ministry. My wife, Steph, is back there. Our three kids are being ministered to by Temple Kids. Uh, this morning, our lead pastor, Doug our executive pastor Lance, our ministry coordinator Nikki, our intern Hunter, and half the church is in the Dominican Republic serving the Lord. Isn't that super awesome? We're excited for that. Now, as I said just a moment ago, I am the youth pastor, and part of the joys I have of serving the youth is helping them plug in and serve Sunday morning. We have all these teens that have been serving, and it's super awesome. And I got a text from a student last night saying, hey, Trevor, I'm so sorry. This is at 730. I'm so sorry. I cannot be there tomorrow morning because my parents are in Africa. They're in the Dominican Republic. And I realized in that moment, oh my goodness, this kid does not know where the DR is, or his parents got on the wrong plane, and they are doing their own thing in Africa, and God help them in what they're doing. <laughs> you know, it, it's exciting to be here. I, I wish I could be in the Dominican Republic as well. I, I told uh, the Lord, Lord, here I am, send me. And Doug said, no, we're not. We're not going to send you. And he left the one guy who completely destroyed his arm on the last mission trip to stay here and talk to everyone about death this morning. So who's excited to be here. I'm excited. All that in complete joking. You know, I, I love the opportunity to, to teach. I don't get to teach that often Sunday morning. I do not know how a pastor can deliver week after week after week. And every time Doug teaches, I just have so much admiration for his, his ministry. And every time I prepare, I get excited, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I do not have to sit in Pastor Doug's shoes every every week. Uh, but I am excited to be here. I'm excited to teach this morning. The title of today's message is Death is Certain, dot, 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 but God. Benjamin Franklin, when he was... Uh, in, in the early part of our nation, they were just about to uh, put together the Constitution. It was about five months away. He was in Europe. He was visiting with some some uh, people talking about the Constitution. And in reference to it, he said, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Now, if I got to choose... My topic, based on comfortability with those two certainties of life, I think I would have chosen to speak on taxes this morning. I can easily fill up 45 minutes talking about taxes. It's something I talk about often with some of my financial planning clients. And why is that? Well, I think death, the topic of death, is very uncomfortable for a lot of us. I'm sure of that. It, it, for, for many of us, it can bring up these feelings of grief. It can bring up feelings of sorrow, of uncertainty, of fear. And many of us have personally felt the sting of death on our lives. I remember as a young man, I was uh, going to my high school. I was probably 16 or 17. I had a very good friend that went to this school with me. He was an athlete. We worked together. We ran together. we, We hang out together. And I remember one night getting a call from a friend who was hysteric, letting me know that this kid had just been killed in a car accident. I remember... The moments after that, as my youth pastor showed up to my house to comfort a shell-shocked teen trying to get a grasp of what had really happened, a shell-shocked teen who thought up to that point that he was going to live forever, that we were all invincible, that this death thing was something way, way down in the future. And the grieving that happened after that, the impact that had on our school, on our Teams was just immeasurable. A lot of us have felt that sting of death. The second time I felt that would have been later in life after my wife and I got married. We had been married for a year and her only sibling, her brother, took his own life. We walked through that sting of death together. We still walk through that. But if you have stepped through that, you know That death can bring grief, death can bring sorrow, death can be very, very uncomfortable. So whether death comes up in a tragic or an accidental or a natural way, there is a certainty with it and it ought to be prepared for. So my opening question for everyone this morning, just a moment of reflection is if death really is a certainty, what are you doing today with that reality in mind? If death is a certainty for us, what are you doing with that reality? Some of us may just ignore it. Some of us may not believe it. Some of us may just be delaying the subject until... Inevitably, it has to come up. So wherever you're at, however you're struggling with that question, I want to start with this good news, this, this big point that I want to make this morning, that we can hold on to this hope as we go through the message, and that is this. Here's the good news for those that are in Christ, we can have a sure and certain hope Even in the face of death. We can have a sure and certain hope in the face of death. I'm convinced of that because this world is not our home. And I believe that if we live with this truth in mind, it can absolutely change our lives. Why? Because that's what the gospel does. So with that in mind... I want us to say our creed together. I'm a little embarrassed because I have my laptop up here and I realized I don't have my Bible up here. But every every Sunday morning we say this creed together at Temple just to remind us what we're about to do and to ask the Lord to speak to us. So let's raise our raise our Bibles, let's say this together. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Amen. This morning as we talk about death, I want us to examine Psalm 49. That's where we're going to be this morning, Psalm 49. And as we look into Psalm 49, we're going to see four truths that we can grasp on this subject. If, you're, if you don't have a Bible, there's a, there should be a Bible underneath the seat in front of you. This is page 442. This series that we're on, But God, was borrowed from this church, Calvary Church, with Pastor Skip Heitzig, and I just want to acknowledge him this morning as a lot of the outline that I have for this morning's sermon is borrowed from him as well. So Psalm 49 is where we're going to be. There are more chapters in the book of psalms than any other book in the bible we actually call them songs it's called psalm because psalm stands for song this Book would have been the worship book, the worship textbook for the children of Israel as they grew up. They would have learned these songs at their home. They would have participated in these songs in their temple worship. There's 150 of these songs that the nation of Israel would have known. The longest chapter of the Bible is in this book. It's Psalm 119. Two chapters away from that is the shortest. The shortest chapter in this Bible, that's Psalm 117. And as we narrow our focus in on this psalm, Psalm 49 in particular, we it has an intense focus on the certainty of death and the hope that we can have in the face of it. So the very first truth that the psalmist points us to in verses 1 through 4 is that life is unstable. Life is unstable. He points to life's instability and uncertainty in talking about common experiences. We see that in verse 1 as, as the psalmist points to the brevity of life. Let's look at that together. Verse 1, Psalm 49. He says, hear this, all peoples, give ear all inhabitants of The world. So, interestingly, if you look at the word world here, that word for world can also be translated duration of life. It's a reference to our present time. It's indicating urgency to pay attention to the words of this psalm. Hear this, all peoples, give give inhabitants, everyone of this present duration. What I'm about to say is very important. Life is unstable. Verse 1 is pointing to the brevity of life. Psalm 144, verse 4 puts it this way. He says, "Man, man is like a breath... His days are like a passing shadow. There's a brevity to life. Solomon puts it similarly in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. He says, For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. There's a, there's a brevity to life. I, every couple years I, I look up who is the oldest person in, Living on the earth today because I feel like they, they deserve some acknowledgement for making it that far, you know It's funny as I looked him up yesterday. I don't remember the name of the person so but The oldest person in the world right now is 116 years old born in 1907 in the 20th century, what's interesting is th- in, in spite of all the history that they've seen, right, World War I, World War II, uh, all of this history, they still would have been born in 1907 too young to go into World War I. And there was a lot of history that they missed, the 1800s, the 1700s, <laughs> even at the, if we look at the oldest person in the world, there's still a brevity to life. Ironically, they that person is too young to experience much history. If verse 1 points to brevity, verse 2 is pointing out a contrast. What's it say? Right here, let's look. Both low and high, rich and poor, together. Hear these words. It mentions low and high. That's, that's talking about our social status. It mentions uh, rich and poor. That's talking about... Financial status. Essentially, wherever you're born, there's little we have control over. You were born in the U.S., you're born into a nation of much wealth. We have very little control. We have no control over that, and much of those areas right there, we don't have much control either. Sure, we can work hard, sure, we can work our way up to some degree, but much of this we don't have actual control over. There's a contrast. Indicating that there's an instability in life. In this brief time we have on this world, we live in instability and we live in uncertainty. I love how Malcolm Muggeridge talks about these two concepts. He says, he says this, I have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth and the foot on earth is on a banana peel. There's an instability that we have during our brief moment that we have in this world. Life is unstable. If we look at the New Testament, there are three diff- different Greek words that are translated into one English word for life. And two of these words point out instability. One of these words points out stability. The first Greek word we see in the New Testament is Bios. Bios. That is talking about our physical life. It's where we get our word biology from. Which happens to also be the absolute worst class you can take in high school. Personal opinion. Physical life is very unstable. This is where we spend much of our time eating, drinking, working, driving. We spend much of our effort, our energy, our money existing on this plane. And physical life is very unstable. The second word we see in the New Testament in Greek is sukkah. Sukkah. This is talking about the inward life. This is our personality, our thoughts, our thought processes, our emotion, The New Testament Greek lexicon says that this is the seat of our feelings, our desires, our affections, our aversions. Like physical life, our inward life is very unstable. You may be filled with peace today and crippled with anxiety tomorrow. You may be having a great week at work, everything's going well, your boss gives you a performance review, and you are filled with stress, anxiety for the rest of your week. Physical and inward lives are two very unstable lives. The last word that we see in the New Testament is "zoe." Zoet means your eternal or your everlasting life. This is life on the spiritual plane. And life on the spiritual plane is stable. This is describing a quality or a fullness of life, life in the here and now that will follow you into the future. This word is found in the words of Jesus in John chapter five. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life, has Zoe." He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That is a stability with that word. Our physical and our inward life is unstable, but there is a life that is stable. However... What the psalmist is opening up and presenting to us in verses 1 through 4 is that there is an uncertainty, a brevity, and instability of life. So that is the first truth we arrive at when looking into this psalm. Life is unstable. The second truth that we discover is that death is universal. Death is universal. This psalm is written to all people with a very clear message. We're all going to die. I was looking at the uh, statistics from 2022 and there were 67 million people around the world that passed away last year. If we average that out today, That's about 183,000 people passed away every day That would have been 255 per minute, or that's four people that are passing away every second. By the time you woke up this morning, countless people have passed away all over the world. And that's because death is certain and that everyone has an appointment with death. Psalm 49 verses 10 through 12 speaks to this. It says, For he sees... That even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike, but perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called their lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. The psalm is telling us that death... Is the great leveler, whether you are rich, whether you are poor, in regards of your financial status, whether you are low or high, regardless of your social status, we all have an appointment with death. And in the end, we take nothing with us. It is the great leveler. Hebrews 9.27 talks about this appointment we have with death. It says this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Death is universal, and this psalm is written with that very clear message that we are certainly going to die. The second point I'd like to make underneath this heading comes out of verse seven, and that's that no amount of wealth can build an escape to death, no matter what we're trying to do as whatever we're trying to do to to kind of say, let let me be the only man out here. There's nothing we can do to escape it. Psalm 49, seven says this, truly no man can ransom another or give God the price of his life. As I was reading this, this uh, verse, I, I, it brought to mind that this has actually been attempted for millennia. If we go back to the time of Egypt, there were pharaohs that built had slaves built these massive pyramids for themselves so that when they were passed away, they would be uh, put into these pyramids. They would be buried with all their stuff, hoping that their stuff was going to go along with them into the next life. And that by going along with them to the next life they would have a, a, better, a better shot in the afterlife. They'd have a better financial status, a better social status by taking this with them. Unfortunate for them, when we uncovered these pyramids and looked inside, all the stuff was still there. And now that stuff is in our museums. And it sounds kind of funny when we look at that, but they did it back then and we do it today. One of the strangest, strangest Google searches of my life was this last week. I just decided to Google how to live forever. And wow, there's a lot of ideas out there. There's a lot of ways that people are trying to preserve their life for perpetuity. I, I found out that if... If you're wealthy enough, you can actually make one small investment of $200,000 to uh, uh, be uh, not buried, but I guess uh, soaked in liquid nitrogen, and hopefully people will figure out in the future how to get you back. $200,000. Well, uh, okay, so you might not be able to afford that, but if you can do your head at a discount for just $80,000. And... And I don't even know if they have a Black Friday sale, okay? We might even really, really get going pretty well on this. I I also found out, uh, I read one article um, that said, hey, do you think you're going to make it to 2040 or 2050? If you do, don't worry. At that point, we will be able to upload a copy of your consciousness to the cloud, and we can download that somewhere else. And I'm like, wow, a copy of me. How exciting. Um, don't cancel your Dropbox subscription in case they lose the copy or your iCloud subscription. Anyway, all this hope. So the uh, the last article I, I saw was the uh, the co-founder of Google. He is very adamant of living forever. And so he started investing millions of dollars into something called the God pill. Something that he hopes will be able to, as one doctor says, reverse aging forever. And I quote this uh, co-founder of Google saying, no, I'm not actually planning on dying. I know that all sounds foolish. But apart from God, isn't that really all we have? The, The foolish hope of extending our life in perpetuity... Maybe all that they have, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hope, but it's a foolish hope. So, so let's step back for a second. Remember, this is a psalm. This is something the children of Israel would have been singing, been teaching to their children. And if you're like me and you get to that part, you might be asking, I wonder how they sing this song. I mean, that's kind of weird. It's kind of depressing. Life is unstable, all men will die. Death's on the doorstep for you and I. It's like, hey, Johnny, why aren't you singing along? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? Like, it's, it's kind of weird. It's, where, where are we at with this, with this song? Life is unstable, death is universal. But hold on, because we haven't arrived at the crescendo yet, right? Right? We haven't arrived at the chorus of this psalm. The first truth that he points out is that life is unstable. Second truth is death is universal. And then we get to the third hopeful truth, and that is this, that redemption is possible. Redemption is possible. We get to verse 14, and verse 14 kind of summarizes what the psalmist has already said up to this point. He says in in verse 14, like sheep... They are appointed for the grave, and death shall be their shepherd. Back to what I said earlier, Hebrews 9.27, we have an appointment with death. And then the verse 14 ends with the fact that for many there is no hope after the grave. It says their form shall be consumed in the grave with no place to dwell. They've got no place to dwell. Wow, what a picture of hopelessness. Then we get to verse 15. And verse 15 shows this extreme pivot from what we've read up to this point. It's displaying tremendous hope. It's showing personal redemption. It's showing eventual resurrection. It's showing a forecast of things to come. Let's look at verse 15 together. It says this, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he will receive me. Amen. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave for he will receive me. Mic drop. It's over. We can go home. Let's break this verse apart because I want us to, I want us to digest this a little further. That first line, that first part, but God will redeem my soul. What does that mean? Redeem, it means to set free by paying a price. This is a payment that was made by the blood of Jesus on the cross. This is the psalmist forecasting into the future of things to come. God will redeem my soul That is, a payment has been done by the blood of Jesus on the cross. It continues from the power of the grave. Well, what does that mean? That means there's a resurrection coming. That means that when you come to know Jesus, you've already experienced this spiritual resurrection. Death is no longer the shepherd God is. You have the spiritual redemption. You can come to know Jesus, but it's also mentioning a physical resurrection. There is a hope that when God comes back to redeem his bride, the, Christ, bride, the church, that there will be a physical resurrection. The, the grave has no power over us. Why? For he will receive me. The grave isn't the destination it is the doorway to a glorious destiny. I love how Psalm 73 puts it. it, says, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. He'll receive me. That's tremendous hope. In the face of death, we can have tremendous confidence and hope if we know Jesus Christ. I want to break this down one other way because as I was reading the psalm I saw this incredible contrast between these two verses between verse 14 and verse fifteen. Verse fourteen it says this like sheep they are appointed for the grave, and death shall be their shepherd, their form shall be consumed in the grave with no place to dwell. Well in verse fourteen we see a comparison of those that are without God, without Christ, without hope, without faith, without trust. In verse fifteen we see those that are with Christ Verse 14 starts with, they are appointed to death. It says that they have, those that are without Christ, they are appointed to the grave. Verse 15 contrasts that and says that if you know Christ, if you have hope, you are appointed to life. You have an appointment with life. It starts with, God will redeem my soul. That means there's an appointment with life. I've cross-referenced Hebrews 9, 27 a couple times this morning. It says, and just as it was appointed for man to die once, and after that's judgment, well, what does the next verse say? Verse 28, it says, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for For him, there's an appointment to life. Verse 14 says this. It says that death is their shepherd. Death shall be their shepherd is what the verse literally says. And in verse 15, we see that God is the shepherd for he will redeem your soul. What does that mean? Well, if Jesus has redeemed your soul, that means he's bought your soul. That means he is now at the helm of your life. He's the leader of your life. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Psalm 23 that starts with God is my shepherd. If you're in Christ, you have been appointed to life and you have been appointed to the good shepherd. The Bible says my yoke is easy. That's what Jesus is saying. And my burden is life, light. We have an appointment with life. Verse 14 says that the grave consumes you. If you don't know Jesus, you are consumed by the grave. In Romans 6, 5, we get, I mean, in, in, um, in verse 15, we get the hope that the grave cannot hold you. We're delivered from the power of the grave. Though we will go to the grave unless the Lord comes back before, we will not be held by the power of the grave. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been united with, with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We can have a sure and certain hope even in the face of death. Verse 14 says that if you are without Christ, there is no dwelling place. There's no hope. Verse 15 says that we will dwell with God for he will receive Me, love the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 when he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Back to my favorite psalm, Psalm 23, it ends with, For I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look at that picture of hope. With Christ, you're appointed to life with a good shepherd, with a glorious destiny, and a resurrection, and a place to stay with God. This verse, verse 15, is the gospel, and the gospel changes everything. We can have a certain and a sure hope Even in the face of of death, and this ought to work a a change in our life. Where we're at right now is a temporary dot on the map. And eternity is is an extended line forever away from that. And we can have hope. We can have hope. The psalmist is talking about these three truths. Life is unstable. Death is universal. Redemption is possible. And and we see one final truth I want us to grasp this morning, and that is confidence is conditional. Confidence is conditional. The psalmist says in verse 16 and 17, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies... He will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. Essentially what the psalmist is saying, we do not need to fear others who have more because they will leave everything that they have. Because it's not about what you have. It's about who you know. It's not about the wealth and the the good stuff and the giving and all the works you've accumulated in this life. You don't need to fear those who have any more because you can have confidence in who you know. J.D. Rockefeller was uh, the world's first billionaire, and he had amassed this incredible amount of wealth in his life. He had given an incredible amount of wealth away during his life. And when he passed away, someone asked his accountant how much he left, and his accountant replied, Well, he left all of it. He left everything. First Timothy six, seven says, For we have brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of it. Psalmist is pointing to the fact that we can have confidence even when others have more. And the last verse I want to point to that the psalmist says is verse 13. He's saying that there is trusting in anyone or anything other than God is foolish. It says, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. I think we all can fall into that. We can start finding security in the things we own. We can feel like, well, you know, if I just save a little bit more, I can finally feel like I've arrived. Or if I just get this promotion, I can finally feel like I've made it. Or if I work this hard, or if if uh, my kids do this, then I will finally have peace in my life. And the psalmist is saying this is foolish confidence. We... We can have this foolish confidence when we trust in these other things. Uh, I love how Skip Heitzig puts it. He says this, when we understand the temporary nature of life and the certainty of death and the spiritual reality of eternal life, you will have confidence because you have stability. When we know where we're going, that is the source of real confidence, when we rest in the fact that God is my shepherd and he's my redeemer and he's given me an eternity, we can be okay with where we're at today. We can be okay with our net worth. We can be okay when when it feels like life is falling apart because this world is temporary. And our eternity is rested in something that's much deeper. It's not in what we have. It's in who we know. Stability breeds real confidence. And the reason this confidence is conditional is because it's reserved for those who know Jesus. It's reserved for the believer. The believer can have this confidence because death is not the end of the road. It is the doorway to life. For those that are in Christ, we can have a sure and certain hope in the face of death. I have a, a few concluding thoughts here, and then we're, we're going to end. Uh, a, a pastor, um, a well-known pastor, passed away a couple weeks ago. His name was Tim Keller, and he was a pastor of Redeemer Church in uh, New York, he had pastored there for a number of years. Uh, many of his messages have touched millions of lives around the world. He is a great writer. He is an author. He's a speaker. He was one of the uh, co-founders of the Gospel Coalition. In a couple years, uh, he passed away from he passed away just just recently from pancreatic cancer. and a couple years ago, he wrote this in one of his books. He said that all death can do to Christians is make their lives infinitely better. If we know Jesus, we have the sure and certain hope that when we pass into eternity, it only gets better. Our pain has passed away, there's no more tears, and we get to rest in the glory of our Savior for an eternity. If you know Christ... We can know this hope even extends a little bit further. We're talking about death this morning, but Scripture says that when Jesus comes back in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-six, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. When Jesus comes back, it continues that thought in verse 54. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, death shall be no more. If you know Jesus, I want to close with this thought for you this morning. I'm speaking to those that are in Christ and you know where you're going. You've placed your faith in Jesus you have, we have the opportunity to live with this eternal perspective in mind. We have the opportunity to internalize that life is unstable. This is a brief moment that Christ has given us on this earth. We have the opportunity to internalize that with this moment and with the idea that eternity is coming, What am I doing with it? What am I doing with that idea? As my opening question, if death is certain, what are you doing with the reality of that? I think we can do a couple things. We can decide that, you know what? What? I'm still going to live for myself. I'm going to live for my own kingdom while I'm here on this short moment on earth. I'm going to see how big of a kingdom I can build. Or we can say, since I've been planted in Jesus, and he is my shepherd, and this life is brief, I'm going to build and invest in his kingdom. So what are we doing with that perspective? What are we doing with that certainty? That's the question we need to wrestle with this morning. If this is changing everything, which is what the gospel is doing, how is it changing you? What is the next step there to wrestle with this perspective? To embrace this perspective. Now perhaps you're here this morning and I have been speaking a lot of words of hope and you're still feeling hopeless. You're still feeling under the chains of verse 14. Death is your shepherd. It's inevitable. We're going to die. And you don't know if you have that hope. You don't know if that that verse, Psalm forty-nine, verse fifteen, is applying to you today. Well, if that's you this morning, you do not know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have an eternity with the Savior. I want to give you a nugget. I want to give you a hope because not only does verse fifteen say, "But God will redeem my soul," talking to those who are in Christ, but we have another. Incredible calling, and that's in Romans 5 8. If you do not know Jesus, this is for you. It says, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That death that should have been on our shoulders was placed onto the shoulders of Christ on the cross. That sin that's on our shoulders was placed onto the shoulders of Jesus in exchange for our redemption. So if you don't know Jesus, the hope is this. John 6:47 says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has everlasting life." That instability you have can be exchanged for stability. In knowing Jesus as your Savior, that hope, that glorious future can be yours if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. So if you don't know if that's your glorious destiny, maybe this morning is that opportunity to make that step of faith and embrace that hope for yourself. And if you do know that that is your glorious destiny, the question is, how can you live with an eternal perspective? I want us to bow our heads, close our eyes for just a second. I'm going to call the uh, worship team. I'm back up here, but we're going to close with a, a song here. But I, I do want to give an invitation this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning. You are struggling. You do not know if you have this glorious confidence. You do not know if you have this hope. You do not know if this is for you. If there's a, 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 you may have a shadow of doubt or, 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 or you're just, something's holding you back, but you are ready to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, I would love an opportunity to pray for you. Would you be so bold as to lift your hand, make eye contact with me so, we can, so I can pray for you? I would love an opportunity to pray for you if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Is there anyone out there this morning? There is hope that is extended to you in the name of Jesus.